Strange Animals Podcast. Welcome to Strange Animals Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Shaw. I still have a lot of listener suggestions to get to, but don't worry, I've got them all on the list. But I have other topics I want to cover first, like this week's subject of extreme sexual dimorphism. Sexual dimorphism is when the male of a species looks much different from the female. Not all animals show sexual dimorphism, and most that do have relatively small differences. A lot of male birds are more brightly colored than females, for instance. The peacock is probably the most spectacular example, with the males having a brightly colored, iridescent fan of a tail to show off for the hens, which are mostly brown and gray although they do have iridescent green neck feathers, too. But Eclectus parrot, males and females, don't even look like the same bird. The male is mostly green, while the female is mostly red and purple. In fact, the first scientists to see them thought they were different species. Males of some species are larger than females, while females of some species are larger than males. In the case of the elephant seal, the males are much larger than females. We talked about the northern elephant seal briefly last week, but only how big the male is. Oops, not last week, two weeks ago. I actually had this episode ready to go last week, but I decided to push it back a week so that we could have the Australian animals episode. So, carry on. A male southern elephant seal, which is bigger than the northern, can grow up to 20 feet long, or 6 meters and can weigh up to 8,800 pounds, or 4,000 kilograms. The female usually only grows to about half that length and weight. The difference in this case is because males are fiercely territorial and fight each other, so a big male has an advantage over other males and reproduces more often. But the female doesn't fight, so her smaller size means she doesn't need to eat as much. Another major size difference happens in spiders, but in this case, the female is far larger than the male in many species. For instance, the body of the female western black widow spider, which lives throughout western North America, is about half an inch in length, or 16 millimeters, although, of course, that doesn't count the legs. But the male is only half this length at most. Not only that, the male is skinny where the female has a large rounded abdomen, and the male is brown with pale markings, while the female is glossy black with a red hourglass marking on her abdomen. Female western widows can be dangerous, since their venom is strong enough to kill many animals, although usually their bite is only painful and not deadly to humans and other mammals. But while the male does have venom, He can only inject a tiny amount with a bite, so isn't considered very dangerous in comparison. The reason many male spiders are so much smaller than females is that the females of some species of spider will eat the male after or even during mating if she's hungry. The smaller the male is, the less of a meal he would make and the less likely the female will bother to eat him. In the case of the western black widow, The male prefers to mate with females who are in good condition. In other words, he doesn't want to spend time with a hungry female. You can hardly blame him. If you remember episode 139 about skunks and other stinky animals, 
we talked about the wood hoopoe and mentioned the bill differences between males and females. The male wood hoopoe has a longer, more curved bill than the female because males and females eat a slightly different diet of insects so they won't compete for the same food sources. But a bird called the huia took beak differences to the extreme. The huia lived in New Zealand, although it officially went extinct in 1907. It was a wattle bird, which gets its name from the brightly colored patch of skin on either side of the face, called wattles. In the case of the huia, the wattles were orange, while the feathers over most of the body were glossy black. It also had a strip of white at the tip of the long tail. The male's beak was fairly long and pointy, although it also curved down slightly, but the female's beak was much longer and more slender, curving downward in a long arc. The huia lived in forests in New Zealand, where it ate insects, especially beetle grubs that live in rotting logs. People used to think that a mated pair worked together to get at grubs and other insects. The male would use his shorter, stouter bill to break away pieces of rotting wood until the grub's tunnel was exposed, and then the female would use her longer, more slender bill to fish the grub out of the tunnel. But actual observations of the huia before it went extinct indicate that it actually didn't do this. Like the wood hoopoe, males and females preyed on different kinds of insects. The male did break open rotting wood with its beak, though, in a way that's very different from woodpeckers. Instead of hammering at the wood, it would wedge its bill into a crevice of the wood and open its beak, and the muscles and other structures it used to do so were so strong that it could easily break off pieces of wood. This action is known as gaping, and other birds do it too, but the huia was probably better at it than any other bird known. The huia went extinct partly due to habitat loss as European settlers cleared forests to make way for farming and partly due to overhunting. Museums wanted stuffed huias for display and the feathers were in demand to decorate hats. And as a result, we don't have any huias left. We do have a few museum specimens, but you know what? I'd much rather see a live bird. Sometimes the size difference between males and females reaches extreme proportions. We've talked about the anglerfish several times in different episodes, and it's a good example. It's a deep sea fish with a bioluminescent lure on its head that it uses to attract prey. Different species grow to different sizes, but let's just talk about one this time, the triple wart sea devil. That is a name. The triple wart sea devil is found throughout much of the world's oceans, preferably in medium deep water, but sometimes in shallow water and sometimes as deep as 13,000 feet or 4,000 meters. The female grows to about a foot long or 30 centimeters. It's black in color, although young fish are brown. Its body is covered with short spines and it has a lure on its head like other anglerfish. The lure is called an elysium, and it's a highly modified dorsal spine that the fish can move around, including extending and retracting it. At the end of the elysium is a little bulb that contains bioluminescent bacteria. Whatever animals are attracted to the glowing elysium, the fish gulps them down with its great big mouth. 
But that's the female triple wart sea devil. The male is tiny, only 30 millimeters long at the most. The male doesn't have an elysium. Instead, his jaws and teeth are specialized for one thing, to bite onto the female and never let go. When a male finds a female, he chooses a spot on her underside to latch on. And once he does, his mouth and one side of his body actually fuse to the female's body. Their circulatory and digestive systems fuse too. Before the male finds a female, he has great big eyes to see her with. But once he fuses with a female, his eyes degenerate because he no longer needs them. He's fully dependent on the female, and in return, she always has a male around to fertilize her eggs. But this attachment is actually pretty rare, because it's hard for deep-sea fish to find each other. Another sea creature where the females are much larger and very different from the males is the argonaut, or paper nautilus. The argonaut is an octopus that lives in the open ocean in tropical and subtropical waters. Instead of living on the bottom of the ocean, though, the paper nautilus lives near the surface. And while the female looks superficially similar to a nautilus, it's only distantly related. The female argonaut generally grows to about 4 inches long, or 10 centimeters, although the shell she makes can be up to a foot across or 30 centimeters in some species. In contrast, males are barely half an inch long, or 13 millimeters. The female's eight arms are long because she uses them to catch prey, with two of her arms being larger than the others. She grabs small animals like sea slugs, crustaceans, and small fish and bites them with her beak. And like other octopuses, she can inject venom at that point too. But the male has tiny little short arms except for one which is slightly larger. Like other cephalopods, the male uses one of his arms to transfer sperm to the female so she can fertilize her eggs. In most cephalopods, that means an actual little packet of sperm that the male places inside the female's mantle for her to use later. But in the argonaut, the male's larger modified arm is called a hectocotylus, and it has little grooves that hold sperm. The male inserts the hectocotylus into the female's mantle, then detaches it and leaves the arm inside her. Then he leaves and regrows the arm, as far as researchers know. We don't actually know for sure, since it's never been observed, but octopuses do have the ability to regenerate lost arms. The female usually keeps the hectocotylus and sometimes ends up with several. At that point, the female creates a shell by secreting calcite from the tips of her two larger arms. The shell is delicate, papery, and white, and it resembles the shell of the ammonite, which we talked about in episode 86. The female lays her eggs inside the shell, then squeezes inside it too, although she can come and go as she likes. There's still a lot we don't know about the Argonaut, but we know more than we used to. In the olden days, people thought the female used her two larger arms as sails at the surface of the water. Eventually, scientists figured out that that was wrong, but they were still confused as to why there only seemed to be female Argonauts. They didn't know that the males were so small and so different, and in fact, when early researchers found hectocotyluses inside the females, 
They assumed they were parasitic worms of some kind. Eventually, they worked out that part too. But still, for a very long time, researchers thought the Argonaut shell was just for protecting the eggs. But it turns out that the female uses the shell as a flotation device. She can control how much air the shell contains, which allows her to control how close to the surface she stays. In a 2010 study of Argonauts rescued from fishing nets and released into a harbor, if the shell doesn't contain enough air, the Argonaut will jet to the surface and stick the top of its shell above the water. The shell has small openings at this point so air can get in. And once the Argonaut decides it's enough, she seals the holes by covering them with two of her arms. Then she jets downward again until she's deep enough below the surface that the pressure compresses the air inside the shell and cancels out the weight of the shell. This means the Argonaut won't bob to the surface, but she also won't sink. And instead, she can just swim normally by shooting water from her funnel like other octopuses. A species of cichlid fish from Lake Tanganyika in Africa, Lamprologus calypterus, also differs in size due to a shell, but not like the Argonaut. Instead, the male is much larger than the female. The male can be up to 5 inches long, or nearly 13 centimeters, while the female is less than 2 inches long, or 4.5 centimeters. The females lay their eggs in shells, but not shells they make. The shells come from snails, so the male needs to be larger so he can pick up and carry a big empty shell. The female, though, still needs to be small enough to fit inside the shell. A moth called the rusty tussock moth is also sexually dimorphic. Its caterpillar grows around one to one and a half inches long, or three to four centimeters, with females being a little larger than male caterpillars, but otherwise very similar. But after the caterpillars pupate, they're much different. The male moth has orangey or reddish-brown wings and a wingspan of about one and a half inches, or almost four centimeters. The female doesn't have wings at all. She emerges from her cocoon and perches next to it, and releases pheromones that attract a male. After the female mates, she lays her eggs on her old cocoon and dies, as does the male. Let's finish up with an animal you may have never heard of, the green spoonworm. It's a marine worm that lives throughout much of the Mediterranean and the northeastern Atlantic Ocean. It lives on the seafloor in shallow water, partly buried in gravel and sand. The female grows up to about 6 inches long, or 15 centimeters, and sort of looks like a mostly deflated dark green balloon, although it may also look kind of lumpy. It also has a feeding proboscis that it can extend several feet, or about a meter. As a larva, the green spoonworm floats around in the water, but whether it becomes male or female depends on where it settles. If it lands on the sea floor, it transforms into a female and starts secreting a toxin called bonellin. Bonellin is what gives the green spoonworm its dark green color. The bonellin is mostly concentrated in the feeding proboscis and allows the spoonworm to paralyze and kill the tiny animals it eats. But if the larva happens to land on a female green spoonworm, contact with the bonellin causes it to become a male. And the male is only a few millimeters long, doesn't produce bonellin, 
and can't even survive on its own. The female sucks the male into her body through the feeding proboscis, but instead of digesting him, he lives inside her and fertilizes her eggs. In return, she provides him with all the nutrients he needs. A female may have more than one male living inside her, making sure that her eggs will always be fertilized. There are lots more animals that show extreme sexual dimorphism, of course, but this at least gives you an idea of how different animals evolve to fit different environmental pressures. Weird as they seem to us, to the animals in question, it's just normal. And it's our appearance and how we do things that would seem weird to them. Perspective is everything. You can find Strange Animals Podcast online at strangeanimalspodcast.blueberry.net. That's blueberry without any ease. If you like the podcast and want to help us out, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen on. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, email us at strangeanimalspodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to support us and get twice-monthly bonus episodes. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Its caterpillar grows around one to one and a half feet. Oh gosh, (laughs) that would be a really big caterpillar.